to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hello, Jeremy. The calm before the storm, I guess, today, huh? How are you doing? Yeah, so the Thursday, the 33rd, so it's Halloween. It's a happy Halloween, Paul. Thank you. Chicago got the first snow, measurable snowfall on Halloween in 10 years, I think they said, so... Won't be snow, like real snowfall, yeah. or like just a few snowflakes. Nothing for me, but some areas have canceled trick or treating because of they don't want kids oh, out no. in the weather with the yeah. It'll be three inches or so. They're saying, but it's funny. I remember as a kid traveling around the world and going to places, and cultures were extremely different, and there wasn't a McDonald's and a Starbucks and a Burger King, and you know the same movies and weren't in the cinemas at the same time, and. TV shows were not in entire countries for years. And now you look now and it's kind of like Halloween is everywhere. Everyone celebrates it the same way across the world. And But the Halloween one was a big one. We we didn't really trick or treat like crazy when it was, when it was brought up in England. And so it's been fun just seeing how insane people go around the neighborhood I'm in. And I've kind of got into it. It's a bit of a trap. You go into Home Depot, which is like the hardware store and there is a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff you can spend on. You know, it's interesting. It's looking at neighborhoods, right? So when my kids were little, there was, you know, 20-some kids on the bus stop, and they loved trick-or-treating. And, and now, the neighborhood I'm in now is mo- like most people like me. There aren't any kids in the house. I think we get one or two usually. Yeah, I was describing it as a – it's like a scene from E.T., you know, the kids running around <laughs> the streets. and Yeah. But um, I have a, a giant demon that when you get near it, screams leans in and grabs you with both its arms and last year some parents stood by the sidewalk and let their kids go up the driveway um and knock on my door and this thing did it to this kid and poor girl she cried i felt really bad afterwards but the parents were laughing the dad was on his knees like hysterically <laughs> laughing the highlight for me was the next day because i'm one of eight kids so we would go and trade i didn't like the peanut butter candies but i love smarties and we used to trade or you know trade back and forth yeah that was a lot of fun that's awesome <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see whether orlando has any remnants of halloween this weekend when i arrive on saturday but we'll see well there'd be lots of treats in store on stage lots of uh everyone's been pre-announced i shouldn't say pre-announcing but a lot of uh preparatory blog posts I found, and then we'll link to a couple here on, on SharePoint and Teams, putting their their guide to Ignite. So uh, Yeah, I saw Mark Cashman had written one, um, and he's you know, obviously saying, go to Jeff Teeper's session, which from what I hear is going to be completely all demos again, like he did last year, um, which is awesome. Yeah, there seems to be a lot about intelligent intranets and harnessing your knowledge and Microsoft Search, which Actually, with the graph, we've got some really cool stuff we're doing there with search, which actually we can talk about because this episode won't go out till 9 a.m. of Monday of Ignite. But So for graph developers, uh, we are introducing in beta, which will mean it's being preview, uh, a search API. Um, and the concept of the search API is rather than going to, you know, the messages endpoints and searching for mail and the OneDrive endpoint search for files and um, the Teams endpoint to search for chats. You will go to the search endpoint and put in your queries and say which types of information you want to see, like files or like messages. 
and the search will return with relevant scores, much like the actual user experience does. The coolest part is the demo that I did on stage with Rajesh at Build, which was the ServiceNow scenario, which was go look for all ServiceNow tickets, define it as a user-defined type of service ticket, and ingest them using the graph. And then when I do a search either in the user experience or via the API, I can say, search my service tickets for the Contozo, whatever, foo search term, and it will return you relevant scores across, you know, whatever you want to search for, like files and user-defined types. So um, the search aspect's really cool. And there's a ton of stuff in the user experience they're announcing um, that I know that, like Naomi Moneypenny, who's, you know, been around the, the SharePoint world for a long, long time and extremely, extremely smart person who's working in engineering now is, is doing some really cool stuff around content services. And, and so you should definitely, even if you're not coming to Ignite, there is a whole host of sessions you should really look at if you're developing just to understand where search is going. And for me, I think it's what business applications this unlocks that we saw a lot of this when SharePoint server started doing kind of ability to index, not just files from other sources, but user defined types but the fact now that the cloud is powering search, I think there's just so many more business scenarios that could be open as a developer by being able to just tap into that and use it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this as well. Right? If anyone who's done work in SharePoint over the years has seen the power of what you can do there. And now I'm not going to say it's the same thing as writing SharePoint search customizations, but the same concepts I would expect apply that we can move it up up a level, if you will, and, and pull in content from everywhere and and provide those rich experiences, even in our applications, to to leverage that search instead of having to index it all yourself. So I'm looking forward to seeing the, the stuff on that. And I'm, and I'm sure there'll be lots of blog posts about people who want to customize search results like they did in SharePoint. So, And the other thing I wanted to point out uh, on this blog post is they've kept the same high-level groupings, the SharePoint team at least anyways, with you know content and team collaboration and intranet and search and so on. So they still have the same kind of alignment along the, the high-level buckets, if you will. And they have a whole list of sessions that with links that you can get in there and see what's going on. So looking forward to seeing that. The next biggest standout for me is like there's a lot of IT pro sections in Mark's list here. But um, for us, I think we're going to embrace IT pros pretty hard at this conference. Daryl Miller and uh, Peter um, in engineering have been working on a PowerShell SDK, which we'll get Daryl on to talk about in more detail. But essentially, you know, there's been grassroots efforts by the community with the Office PNP CLI and uh, well, the Office 365 PNP CLI and stuff. Um, and people like writing homegrown PowerShell scripts that, you know, get an access token and wrap REST calls. This new PowerShell SDK basically does it all for you and it generates it for the whole of the graph, much like our .NET and, you know, our Java and JavaScript APIs do, SDKs do. Just to clarify, it's not an SDK for PowerShell. It is commandlets that are yeah, PowerShell. We're, yes. We're, yes. we're calling it, a, yeah, it, it because it's from our SDK team. But yeah, you're right. It is technically it's um, commandlets. But yeah, it, it, we've split it up because the graph is so large. We've split it up into a set of modules. So you can pull down the, you know, the SharePoint OneDrive module or you can pull down, um, you know, the Teams modules. And so like some of the demos that we're showing next week are things like, the ability to um, iterate through all groups in your tenant 
um, and then iterate through the members of the tenants and then obviously list that out, export to CSV, you know, whatever admins like to do but want to do fast. You know, there's a whole heap of things you can do because it's not just read. Um, as long, you know, if you're the admin, you've got rights to do that at tent level. There's a whole heap of things you can do, like um, go update licenses for a group of users and, and, you know, do that all via API. So I think there's going to be a whole heap of scenarios that um, we haven't even worked out are going to be done that IT pros are going to do. So I'm super excited. And we've, we've had some really good folks um, involved in the preview that are in the PowerShell world. And I think the most exciting thing is, is Jeffrey Snover, who will definitely get on this show, who's a distinguished engineer at Microsoft, who is kind of really the godfather of PowerShell for all, all rights. He's in our org now. He reports to our CVP. And so he's driving a ton of the, in air quotes, intelligence things within M365. Um, and he's been helping Daryl and giving feedback on, that's just not how you do things in PowerShell. And you need to do this. And you need to give me this here. And... And then suddenly we have this huge, oh, that's way better. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're doing it the right way, which I'm really proud that Daryl's been able to get like that kind of amount of resources behind this to make sure we did the right thing. And, you know, Daryl's knowledge of .NET and Auth has just made this so streamlined to go use as well. So it's exciting to see. You know, the first thing that springs to mind around, you mentioned scenarios, is there was a while back when Office 365 groups, as they were known then, or unified groups first came out, there was a push to migrate distribution lists into groups and so on. And and obviously, IT pros have a ton of scripts that manage exchange lists and active directory things. So now you can envision a lot of use cases to say, well, I can now create these groups based on some backend system. An IT pro guy can write a script to do that or a gal. And so, yeah, I think that's going to be a lot of adoption, a lot of uh, scenarios going crazy. So look look for that. Yeah. And then I think the last one would be Graph Explorer. Now, we know it gets a heap, a heap of usage because we can see it in our web analytics and the calls it makes under the covers in our telemetry. But um, we've rewritten it as a React app for a bunch of reasons. It makes us a lot more agile than the V3, which was in Angular. And it's mainly to do with the fact that we've learned a lot from its current state. And the interesting thing with this preview is we've added a few extra features. And just to call out two that I think are absolutely awesome is I can run a like me slash messages or like, you know, me slash drive slash root slash children and there's now a permissions tab uh, which will show exactly what permission you need to do the call that you've just written or the sample you've just launched Um, but you can click consent and consent it directly there and it just uses the interactive um, incremental consent screens to go through and provision that for whoever you're signed in as please use Demo tenants and not production tenants in Graph Explorer. Developer tenant. Dev.office.com. <laughs> yeah. Go sign up for the... That's right. Developer program and get a demo tenant. And then the other really, really cool bit is there is now an authorization tab there. And you can just copy that access token and go use it wherever you want to. And then if you feel really lazy and don't want to write any code whatsoever, we have a code snippet tab. And so if you've done me slash messages and you want to know what that SDK code snippet is for .NET or Objective-C. Um, you can just click copy and grab that and put that into your, your IDE of you know whatever you're writing your project in. And so I really think that Graph Explorer is going to get me more traction. Um, and we're going to add PowerShell into that generation too once we're, we're a bit further down the line with the preview, which is cool. 
that is that's great, and I'm glad to hear it's moving to React. Is, there, is it still in GitHub? We'll be able to look at that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I wrote my own API Explorer tool because I needed to call an API that's not Microsoft's. It's mine behind the Azure AD token. I end up hacking things together. So I'm going to go steal some of your components, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They've done a really good job this time. And um, there's a whole heap of things we've done, which means we can move a lot faster. Like this, the way that we've been, Daryl and I have been in the meetings going, it'd be really cool if it would do this. And if we're really cool if we could do that. And you can see their faces like, oh, gee, why did we ask them again? But, um, you know, the next week's iteration is in there. We're like, this is great. So um, I'm really excited to hear the feedback on this. And if you have got ideas about like, what can we do? Please let us know because um, we're able to move a lot faster now with Graph Explorer and the team that we have in Nairobi and Kenya are crushing it. Um, and so it's just awesome to have a team in the rhythm that is focused purely on the developer experience for Graph and not, you know, just like the API itself. Will there be an output choice to render some of the, the toolkit controls instead of just the raw JSON? Yeah. And also um, adaptive cards too. So um, there's a whole heap of announcements around if you have a, a schema a name of like what the object comes back as, like the OData type that returns on the graph, you can throw that at an adaptive card service. And the adaptive card service <clears throat> will return you an adaptive card for you to render. Um, so it, it's really, really cool. And then the Microsoft Graph Toolkit sits on top of that and can you know build your fully working control with the results from the graph, as well as the template from the adaptive card service and bingo magic. Wow. You're almost up to the power apps there. Look at you. I know, right? We'll, we'll just write the code for you at that point. It'll just be a bunch of buttons on the screen. I, I jest. Yes, exactly. Um, right. So, so getting back to our notes, right? The, so also in our, um, our, our show notes, we'll have a link to the Microsoft Teams guide to Ignite 2019. And they've done a similar uh, breakdown of or, or highlight of all the different uh, sessions that they're hosting, which cover things like voice and, and uh, online meetings and migration and IT pro stuff as well. So uh, not a lot of developer stuff on their little summary here, but I'm sure there'll be as the there's a couple on extending the platform, which would be interesting for the developers as well. So we'll get the link there for you. So you can catch up after the fact, most likely watch the recordings if if it's been busy. So Yeah. And there's some big stuff with teams around resource specific consent, um, which is this notion of when I do anything in teams right now with the API, I need admin consent and I need group read, all, as you know, Paul, which can be a bit challenging. Internally, we call it the brick wall because it often customers will be like, mm, there's no way we're going to give you group read right on. We have this challenge internally with some apps who've tried to build in Teams that MSIT, our IT division of Microsoft, won't allow us because it would give access to all groups within Microsoft, which could be quite interesting to have access to. And so resource-specific consent allows me to ask for things like, I need a consent and I'm deploying this Teams app into this team or this channel, and I want access just to the files in this team or just to the chats in this team and not to all chats in all teams. Um, and so there's some work that's going on to announce that in preview at Ignite next week, which I think for Teams developers is going to be a big deal. So we'll have to get Philip Signore and Nick Kramer on to talk about that. 
that uh, every, everyone who's done any SharePoint work is asking for the equivalent, right? Because it's a SharePoint owner and so on. So yeah, people are asking for these resources and stuff. So so that we've we've decided to pick Teams first because it touches a lot of workloads. But yeah, SharePoint and all the other APIs on the graph will also you know start to leverage RSC as we're calling it shorthand to cap- be capable of the same thing. So this has been a big ask. It's been on User Voice for a long, long time. And, you know, I feel the pain, even internally, we've got some core apps I'd love to be able to use within teams, within the ones we have for graph internally. And, you know, we can't because of the admin consent and group rewrite all stuff. So this is going to be awesome that we can do this. Yeah. And that's a reasonable approach. I mean, there are workarounds. SharePoint does have site-based security you can yeah. use. Exchange has, exchange has mailbox, mailbox yeah, mail permissions. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's a, that's a reasonable approach. It looks so, yeah. The, uh, you've certainly wet my appetite. I have to start kicking the tires. Yeah, it's exciting. And the demo that we're doing around meetings, capturing like notes and tasks and, you know, agendas and sending out pre-reads and stuff that we'll be showing on the pre-day and in a few of the sessions. Like, I actually want to use it now. <laughs> like, it's really good. <laughs> um, but because obviously RSC is in preview. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to have to patiently wait to be able to use this app internally. But it really just shows that the power of like using the graph for a bunch of different things to make your life a lot easier. So um, be sure I'll be talking about that demo for <laughs> quite a while. This is going to give me a lot of legs to be able to talk about the graph. So pay attention on Twitter and all the Ignite recordings. Yeah. All right. So um, this week, you know, so obviously there's lots of new things uh, happening, but uh, our show this week is uh, a, a longtime uh, SharePoint developer and, and friend of ours, Doug Ware. Doug and I were both in Redmond uh, at a dev kitchen a couple of weeks back. And so we sat down and and we're talking about what he he coined the phrase or used the phrase modernizing workloads. And, and Obviously, we've had people who have moved to the Microsoft 365 cloud, where SharePoint can move and Exchange can move. But what about those systems that you have in a dark corner of your data center back at the office? You know, some SQL server that has only two users on it. So how do we get that to talk to cloud-based solutions? And so Doug is uh, was gracious enough to spend a half hour or so sit, talking through the approaches that he's done over the years and and tips and tricks that uh, that we can try to do to help solve the people issue of getting systems to the cloud because it's sometimes that's technology is easy. It's uh, getting people on board. So it was great to, to sit down with Doug. Yeah, I've always been a big fan of conferences. He's always someone that I absolutely make time to have a chat with either over dinner or even if it's a drink because his view of the world from a technology perspective is just very different to the average developer. And so I always learn heaps with him. So I appreciate you getting him on the show because I haven't seen Doug in a while and it's really nice to hear his opinions on things like this. Yes, we had a great time. So, all right. So, this uh, another one in the can. And now, next week, you, you've got a, a session in the studio at Ignite, right? You'll be uh... yeah. So, Darren and Yuna are going to be on live. So, they'll they'll be all jazzed. I think we're doing it like Tuesday afternoon. So, Yuna will be done with her session. So, she'll be all relaxed because uh, her session is, as usual with overviews, is a lot of demos of all the new stuff that's coming in really hot. Um, and so she'll be in a really good spirits and be able to talk about all the new stuff in way more detail than I've just done in this intro, which is cool. That sounds great. Look forward to listening to the two of them and have a great time in Ignite. Try not to uh, sweat in the heat or 
get trampled by other people. Oh, I'm looking forward to the heat. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, get well soon, mate. It sounds like you've caught the same cold that I had. Yeah, I managed to dodge it for a couple of years, but it got me this year. So I won't be spreading it to everyone at night. So you're all safe. Don't, I won't be there. So yeah, don't worry, so folks. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Have a good week, buddy. Cheers, Paul. So today I'm sitting with Doug Ware. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Doug. Hey, Paul. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. It's great to see you again. So for our listeners who may not know who Doug Ware is, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a man about town uh, in Atlanta, Georgia area. Uh, and I was a SharePoint MVP for about eight years. And a decade before that, I was an Access MVP. And I ran the .NET user group for a long time. But uh, if you if you come to Atlanta and you're in the Microsoft space, you'll run into me eventually. And uh, I've been an entrepreneur. Right now, I'm a solution architect at a big consulting company called EY. Hey, congratulations on that, because oh, I've, I've known you for the years. You've always been an independent, like I was in the past as well. So it's uh, a nice to get off the treadmill a little bit, isn't it? Uh, let someone else do some of the sales and marketing. I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of seduced by the huge system, right? There are certain roles that you just can't get as an outsider, right? Yeah. And uh, this is a truly global system with you know six figures of users and hundreds of thousands of SharePoint site collections. Uh, I mean, just massive scale that I don't normally you get to play with as an independent, <laughs> at least not uh, in any kind of like serious leadership. You might get to push on it. Yeah. Yeah. So that I agree that the allure to that is is excellent, and so. Uh, what I'd love to talk about this in this episode then is tangential to that in that when you have such large rollouts or large deployments, uh, this obviously there's more than just SharePoint that you have to deal with. And, and us being developers, we're trying to integrate with SharePoint or Office 365. So um, we'll just talk about modernizing the workloads that have to happen, yeah, right? right? So yeah. alongside of, of Microsoft, and, and I always I always like to say, well, it's easy to do my you know hybrid SharePoint because you just follow the directions from Microsoft, but there's more to it than that, yes? And then your experience, I would imagine? Yeah, well, in any kind of global system where you're dealing with, uh, you know, people are, so they, this is tax, right? But any kind of uh, financial system or advisory consulting management kind of thing that you see, that people care about secrecy, right? Because we, we had yeah. things like, uh, what, the uh, the Edward Snowden thing when yeah. the government and then uh, the Panama Papers and, and WikiLeaks and all that stuff, right? So security and, and InfoSec requirements in this kind of system are are just of paramount importance. And so we run SharePoint farms, on-prem farms, all over the world. Uh, there are, and I, I can't say what the actual number is. I don't think I'm allowed. There's an eye-popping number of servers <laughs> at a startling number of data centers, you know, just running... SQL Server and SharePoint and all the stuff. And so uh, Office 365 has great appeal um, now that Multigeo is available. So we, we, uh, we have a, a country that's live now. I was, that was a, the project I was working on was getting the, that, that big workload from, uh, to be able to work in the cloud. And, and for this, because it's such a huge system and there's so many users, it means that we really have to be able to run it in the cloud and on-prem both simultaneously in a secure way and support ACS authentication and server-to-server. I know there's a single sign-on provider and we use uh, APIM and Azure AD is in the mix and there's all these different ways and we have to be able to, to have all that communication be rock-solid and auditable and, uh, and everything else because if, as soon as we 
you know, lose the, the, the information, that's it. Our reputation is out the door. It, what kind of approach? Where, where do you start? What do you think developers, what's the top one or two things for them to, as an approach to try to address this type of, of project? Well, so I would say the first thing, if you're a developer and what you want to do is just have fun, go build something brand new. Like, find some <laughs> greenfield thing to work on. This is hard stuff, right, yeah. because you can't, well, you could if you had, like, this magic purse. You could just say, well, we'll just hire a bunch of people and we'll do all of it, right? And then we'll be in the cloud and we'll be in SharePoint online and life will be good. And, uh, of course, you know, it just doesn't work that way. Not to mention that if you have a huge existing system that's got you know, millions of documents in it, potentially um, just migrating that from one thing yeah. to another is like, just imagine if they came to you and they were like, oh, hey, Paul, we got this, uh, you're an admin now, you're Todd Clint, you've turned into Todd Clint, and they're like, hey, dude, we need you to take um, this this farm that's got, uh, you know, 10 terabytes of site collections on it and, and migrate it to SharePoint 2019 from SharePoint 2013. It's kind of terrifying, right? Yeah. Well, in this case, we have to, we, we, we're not migrating the farm, we have to migrate the data, but we also have to find a way to provide all the same automation, you know, in both places. So first thing is we, you got to have a, you got to have some way to provision still. And this is one reason why it might be more fun to find something brand new to build, right? Because if you have to provision in SharePoint 2013 and in SharePoint Online, that's going to give you, you know, that's going to determine your choices as far as what you're going to use unless you want to write things twice. You have to use the lowest common denominator API, so CSOM is where it's at for us, right? Yeah. Okay, and so kind of like a, a pilot project type of thing to get your feet wet in this hybrid yeah, world? Yeah, see, is to see if you can make it. See if yeah. you can take that site that you're making on-prem, and the very first thing is see if you can just make one, a new one, in SharePoint Online, and then look at it with your own eyes and go, okay, you know, how's it look? And you, you, if it's classic, you'll be surprised that you're going to look at it and go, yeah, there's a few differences I can see, but overall it looks pretty good and some, you know, some light old school SharePoint CSS magic and, you know, maybe you're back in business. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's step one. And then, uh, and then, then, then you get to the hard part is how, how am I going to deliver all my customizations on top of it with the old versus new? So. Well, I, I would think the, the customization of a SharePoint thing seems to have been mostly addressed with you know, modern customization techniques. But I guess what would be interesting is if I, start, if I start pulling the thread and what is that, if I've built a workload on top of SharePoint, it, it likely is not self-contained in SharePoint, right? So what does it reach into and where is that? Is that in the cloud? Right? Yeah, exactly. So I think any, any big enterprise, true enterprise solution is, that's enabling a workload, right? So these are, I think these are applications on top of SharePoint. It starts as a team site, but then it gets turned into some other kind of thing. And, you know, every one of them is starts the same. And there may be hundreds of them depending on. So in, in the case of some of them we're on, it's we're doing, we're preparing your taxes, right? And so there's a, just a, a base model. But SharePoint's lovely because then they can go in and go, well, for this, you know, we need another thing over here and we can give you the, the tools to be able to, to do all that stuff. The customizations that come in uh, that are challenging, though, is when you start integrating with your, um, with all these other computer systems, right? Because now, maybe when you're running SharePoint on-prem, on 
the browser is all going through your VPN probably and they're all signing into your Active Directory and you know it's all talking to servers in the same data center. Now SharePoint's all running by Microsoft and where do you put your stuff? So if you're going to eat the elephant you go well we'll just move all that to Azure. Hey, lift and shift is what they, yeah, they propose. Yeah, we'll right? just move it all to Azure. But when you talk about you know complicated networks with a, a, what would you say a, a large or a, a take we'll just pick a, a huge company at randomly like uh, General Motors. What do you think General Motors network equipment cost <laughs> to operate per yeah, month? It's a big number. I'm quite huge, certain. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So a lot of thought and complexity went into that, and so it's it's one thing to go. Well, I could take my PHA server and make it a VM in Azure, and it could be a VM in Azure. Oh, okay, fine. But how does it fit into the network? How does it connect to all the other stuff? Let alone if you go, well, I could make it a an Azure web app, or I could decompose it into microservices as functions, and you know, there's yeah. lots of lots of fun stuff you can do but at the end of the day what it comes down to is what all do I have to talk to still and so for us and I'm guessing for most people your initial state is it's going to be a bunch of stuff that's on-prem that you maybe can't even talk to from Azure because they haven't got the connectivity between the networks done in a secure way with the with all the protections that they need to do necessarily to be able to do it or maybe it's not allowed or, or they haven't thought of it yet, so mm-hmm. it's not that it can't, but it just hasn't needed to, right? But, you know, 15 years ago, right, if I'm building a system for you and we're putting a database uh, in there, right, one of the things that we're doing is we're making sure that database is, you can't get to it from the Internet, right? That's part of the design. The web front end is over here. You can get to it from the, the Internet, but the database is on this other. And so now it goes, well, no problem. I want to run in Azure. I just need to connect to that database. Well, <laughs> you can't get there from here. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Right, and so take that problem and multiply it by however much crap you have in your data center, and and so I think for most people to answer the question you asked me like ten minutes ago is you start with the 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 stuff that's facing the user in SharePoint, and you move as much of that as you can first, and you keep as, anything you don't have to move right off about, you leave where it is, and and hopefully, and I hopefully what will happen for us, I think a lot of companies are, are at this point. Uh, the first thing is the the users who have experience with your on-prem SharePoint online will start using SharePoint, I'm sorry, your on-prem SharePoint, will start using SharePoint online, even in classic mode, and, and the first thing they're gonna do is go, holy crap, this is a lot better than our SharePoint. It's gonna, it's gonna run fast. Microsoft is better at running SharePoint than you are. Whoever you are that's listening to this, <laughs> Microsoft is better at running SharePoint than you are. I don't care how good you're at it. Um, and the sites are gonna be fast and they're gonna go, so, that's the first thing to be like, okay, now we want everything in SharePoint Online. And then they go, well, what about this modern stuff? Our site looks old oh, and yeah. busted, right? Yeah. Forget about what it does. Like, I saw my friend's company. They have this new thing. And it just looks so much fancier than this. I want that instead. And you're going to be pulled. Well, at least that's what I see happening to everybody. Yeah, that, that user-led, I want, I want, I want. Yeah, give generally. me this. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah, like, well, yeah. you know, you know, over here, um, you're going to lose this feature. And like, ah, I don't need that feature. And even if it's previously, if you talked to him about it six months ago, I have to have that. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing I have to have. If I can't have that, then my life is over. Don't even talk to me about this other stuff. And then they're like, well, maybe I don't really need that. Or I'll take because I get this, this, and this. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I'm sure a lot of the times the answer to these questions is it depends. But you, you've talked a bit about how you know I might need to reach out to something and it's a database 
database that's been tucked in some corner of the network just because we want to make sure it's safe and or whatever the case may be. Did you find a success with any particular approach to try to unlock some of that stuff? Are you building tunnels through the network? Or are you actually moving data systems or both or anything that you found helpful? So there's a lot of ways to do that. I think for most people, if there's somebody that builds applications, it's a, the problem of another department. And they're waiting for that other department to holistically solve that, right? If you're working for a company and they say, well, we're a cloud-first company and we wanna, we're using Amazon or, or Microsoft or whatever it is, but they haven't solved the networking concerns to integrate with their provider fully, whatever you come up with is gonna be a compromise in some level and some approaches just may not be allowed. Um, like the, the, the straight path from outside to that database right. server is never going to happen, right? And so one thing that you can use in, in Azure is like Hybrid Connection Manager. Um, hybrid Connection Manager works with a fast queue in between, and on one side of it, it's dropping stuff into the queue and listening for responses, and on the other side, it's reading from the queue and dropping stuff in the queue and listening for responses. So both systems are talking to the internet, but the internet is not necessarily, is not talking to either system directly, right? You can think because there's that extra piece in the middle, there's more latency there than maybe a nice fat pipe, that, <laughs> right? So that may may limit some of what you uh, what you can do. But that's the easiest like point-to-point way that you can do it is you can use hybrid, a hybrid connection manager. And, so is that a developer thing, or is that more a go go buy some pizza for your networking buddies and help to have them help you out, or both? I, it's probably something you start as if like if the. You know, every company's different, right? There's some. There's somebody listening to this right now. It's like, well, I'm a network engineer, and we are all over that. And it's the developers that suck where I'm at. Yeah. And not. I'm saying that. I'm not saying the network people are bad where I work. Don't get me wrong. Yes. Right? It's all hypothetical. Absolutely. I mean, in some cases, it comes down to uh, we've determined we need this device, and it's a two million dollar spend to plop it into the network, and it's not in the budget. I mean, you know, for whatever the reason is, but you may find yourself look, uh, you know, get your MSDN subscription out and use your Azure benefits and use Hybrid Connection Manager to create a relay from your, you know, your laptop to a cloud service and see how it works. It's not that hard. Yeah, and and more like a proof of concept thing, which is what the MSDN benefit is for, right? Yeah, I can, exactly. I can set this up and then sit down and talk with someone who's in charge of that. Say, here's what I've done. What's the problem? Right? Mm-hmm. A good, bad, other. Right? A conversation. Yeah, I mean, if I need like a, you know, if I'm developing the multiplayer backend for a first-person shooter, uh, you know, maybe that's not a good solution because it's highly I/O intensive. But if I'm building a business application where something's coming from a form and it has to go into a data Database, uh, it's going to work right. just fine for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah right, right. right. And, I, and I like to joke if it's a web-based form, for anyone to find the one point in the network where there's latency, the end user's not going to know that it's your relay, right? right that, exactly. We can just say, oh, you know, well, your, your neighbor's streaming a video, so you're slow. <laughs> you know, and Service Bus is one of the first, uh, the fir- one of the first things that was in Azure. So I use. I mean, Service Bus and Azure Storage both. Uh, Either one of those things, you are safe as houses. They are fast as a scalded dog, as my granny would say. Okay. Once again, Microsoft's probably going to do it better than you will. Uh, And so, of course, now uh, those approaches don't think. So is there any gotchas or challenges, that thing that struck you right away or interesting? Say, well, you know, I didn't think of this, but it came up and reared its ugly head. Uh, Just uh, keep your eyes open type of moment. This is advice I'd get anybody that's working in SharePoint Online that's used to working in, in SharePoint on-prem is and you can't trust the vendor, right? 
Now, my, like I said, Microsoft can do it better than you, but when you're doing it yourself, you know when you're going to take downtime and when there's patches and where there's likely to be issues, right? Some days SharePoint just isn't going to work as well for you as it did in previous days. Or if you if you're aware of it, they've recently tweaked the throttling rules, uh, and if people that are using service accounts are in a hurt locker at the moment uh, because. And if you have good telemetry and you were running a system, maybe uh, about. If you're me, like three and a half weeks ago, four weeks ago, all of a sudden, halfway through the day, your error rate just went, started going up through the roof because these things changed. So um, I use a lot of, uh, so you, so you're, you're, the code that you build has to be more fault tolerant and it has to, to uh, compensate for the realities of distributed cloud systems in ways that you maybe are not used to as an on-prem developer where everything's on the same network segment. Yeah, yeah and so I, I want to tease it a little bit and say, you know, you might have to do more of the plumbing work. You might have to instrumentate your code and have better yeah. error handling. And it's just because it's it, users say it's not working and it's in the cloud. You don't know why yeah, it's not exactly. working, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so one thing is uh, App Insights is uh, I think is Azure Monitor. I believe they've called Azure it these Monitor days. Is wonderful, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And those things can then those they can alert you, right? They can go. They can send you an email during lunch or you know the day before you're packing up to leave on your family trip <laughs> that evening that uh, the performance has just gone down and there's yeah. an anomaly has been detected so it can alert you and the uh, and then the, I use uh, durable functions a lot I already was a functions fan uh, and I've got some open source projects out there for SharePoint integrations that, that use um, Azure functions and then, then they work at high volume and production and they're very tried and true and I like them but uh, uh, this past year I've introduced durable functions into the mix and do you know about durable functions? I, I actually was on a project on those just last week. So, yeah, yeah, so for our listeners, durable functions are their way of expressing an orchestration. Like if you did Windows Workflow Foundation <laughs> programming, that was the great grandmama of durable functions and flow and logic apps and and uh, a bunch of other things, mm -hmm. really. But uh, they let you go, okay, I assume anything that I'm about to do in this operation against SharePoint Online could break, and so this is what the retry policy is on it and, and state things as... as build things to have retries in them so that when you hit those little outage windows, your whole system doesn't just fall over like a house of cards. So I was, I'm more of a do it learner, not a read it and get it learner. So as I was hacking away and working durable functions and things weren't working. And then at one point I, you know, I, I, I control C out of the, the local functions host and then did some changes. And when I started again, next thing I know, my function was running. I'm like, hey, I must have done it right because it picked up where it left off. It, it, I, I, I canceled, killed the host, which is an outage. And when the host came back, off it went. So I do, I do like durable function that's a that's a great tip for folks so yeah that plus service bus now durable functions don't use service bus but service bus is another example of a a durable transactional sort of a message sort of thing that you don't get with http because the other thing about these distributed systems is you know how do you patch them you have to be able to take down pieces of the overall thing without the rest of it all having to be taken down at the exact same moment um, and so being able to have things queue um, is just a core design pattern that uh, back in the if you're an old person I know you're not uh, <laughs> how, but, how gracious you know but back back in the day before dot net and uh, and uh, you know we had uh, dcom and, and we used uh, msmq and uh, and some of these techniques and and uh, these sorts of just because of dcom and transaction services those, those things sort of were 
uh, becoming really common design patterns that a lot of people were adopting. And then .NET came out with a different remoting model, and that was kind of the end of that. But that's all, all that, if, you, if you're old, you learned actually how to do all this stuff maybe back in uh, 1998, 99, and you can bring it back now and apply it. I, yeah, service bus or uh, storage queue looks a lot like MSMQ. Right, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great tip. Um, you mentioned microservices earlier, and, and if those microservices aren't behind a queue, you're probably probably looking at that world of hurt then, right? I can see how that would be an issue. So we talked a bit before uh, the, this user-led initiatives or moving the SharePoint online, right? Do you, do you run into people where they want to modernize the back end? Have you, have you had to try to just go from the back and push it forward on the users? Any, any experience in that? So I think that um, in the case with my current life and all my previous ones so the people that are spending the money have a get a lot of have a loud voice in how things are going to be right yeah independently of the merit of individual things versus the other from my perspective you you know you ha- you ha- you can't just move the cheese you got to have something better to offer them so it's a lot easier if you can get them to ask for it right and microsoft is helping a lot with that i mean Office 365, uh, Microsoft 365 graph, and uh, a lot of the things that they're showing that you can do are, uh, and, and mobile, are amazing things uh, that people want to be able to do. But there, up till now, there have been just tons of gaps. Um, and so, you know, you could take somebody to the future, but, those, you know, computers have been around for a while, and business users are savvy, right? So you go, I got some new thing for you, right? That's terrifying to hear, right? Yeah, if you're yeah. like, if you're the, 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 the IT people think they have something new and better. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, yeah. you know, my life is going to suck now, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so if you can go to the IT guys and say, I, this thing is new and better, I want it. Then, as the IT guy, I can go. Well, you know, this this is going to involve these compromises. It's a whole different negotiation because it started from over there, right? So we're we're hoping that it all just all happen organically. That the demand is going to push it. We're definitely not in a we're going to build it and they will come sort of mode uh, yet. And I think that uh, although as an implementer. We, we we all have love hate relationship with SharePoint and and the Microsoft. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's just the way it is because because we like to complain about our jobs and our lives. But and, and to to the extent that it's really sucked, the fact that modern was in the coming process while classic was there was just yeah. it's just not been a fun place to be. Would you agree with that? I, so, I, yeah, I, mean, I would, but I mean that's not, that's natural human bias, right? If I'm familiar with something and I don't have to think about it, and, and now you change it, I, I'm going to push back. Just, right. Right, you know, because of the change resistance, right? So, so but yeah, and, and I've run into folks who are new to the platform and have no problem with modern, you know. But, right. Well, that's yeah, what yeah. actually, right. So I was talking to somebody else. They're like, well, uh, you know, our thing, we have to have this, we, we, we have modern now, uh, this is an ISV, we have modern now um, because even though we have more features in the classic product, People won't even listen to that. They don't. They don't care about the features. If, if the first thing they see is the old experience, they immediately now have a bias against it. Yeah. Because it's old and it looks it looks crusty and it doesn't really matter what it does. So I think that's where we're at. And so you know now the hordes are. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. The the people who enable us to make a living <laughs> will uh, will say this is what we want. And at at a time when they're making a reasonable request because 
there are lots of interesting new it's not the compromise that it was three years yeah. ago when they were at modern right? yeah 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 inevitably that as we approach uh, ignite again this year that there's always the new the new thing coming out of microsoft and rationalizing that is certainly uh, something we always have to do as developers. Well, um, I really appreciate you spending some time here. I, I, you mentioned earlier you're out and about in the Atlanta area. Are you on the social media if folks want to reach out? Yeah, I'm Doug Ware on the Twitter. Twitter, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm Doug Ware on LinkedIn, and uh, I'm Doug Ware on Facebook. Excellent. Uh, and Doug Ware in the Johns Creek United Methodist Church Church Directory. That's how we The intersection of Microsoft 365 developer podcast <laughs> listeners <laughs> and it's your a church Venn directory. Diagram. I think it's you are you are the <laughs> No, it's right next to Tech Park okay. there in Johns Creek, so it's got tech in the name. There's got to be one or two. Yeah, so that's awesome. And again, really appreciate uh, you taking the time, and uh, good luck with uh, moving your next system to the cloud or your next region. Oh, thank you very much for having right. me. Thanks, Bye. bud. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. <laughs>